Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady's new documentary, Norman Lear, Just Another Version of You. The film paints a dynamic portrait of Lear, one of the most influential creators, writers, and producers in the history of television. Grady and Ewing cover his life, work, and achievements, exploring how he shifted the national consciousness into socio-political debates on race, class, creed, and feminism through his legendary TV shows such as All in the Family, Maud, Good Times, and The Jeffersons. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Ewing spoke with director Chuck Workman about filming the documentary, along with the subject, Norman Lear. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including how Ewing eventually got Lear to agree to be interviewed for the film, and how, in Lear's words, at the age of nine, he noticed the foolishness of the human condition. Enjoy. Thank you! So how did they get so much of you into 90 minutes? That's what amazed me when I saw the film first. Um, do you feel, was there anything missing here? You even say, you're not going to talk about that too, and you do. <laughs> uh, it's been a full life. <laughs> but what they made, uh, is it, it's my story, but it's their art. 100% their art. I mean, the use of that little boy, which was their idea. Uh, my arrangement with American Masters was that I had no say. I mean, <laughs> we're reasonable friends. I think they'd have listened to me if I had a real serious problem or something. Uh, but I had nothing to do with making this film. It was she and Rachel who made it, and that's worth another hand. <laughs> Norman, Lear is, Norman Lear is actually my manager. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's, it's, you have 90 minutes, you have 90, nine, now 94 years, so it was an excavation process, but it was also a, a process of very severe elimination. I mean, a film is, is going to be reductive. I mean, his book uh, is, is the full story, the autobiography, so we really had to sort of go with what we felt the, the trajectory of the movie would There's be. There's some copies difficult. out there for you, by the That's way. That's right, everyone gets and one. Uh, there are, actually. Norman uh, himself schlepped the, the books all the way over to here. They're on a table out there. And they're, they're the hard cover copies, And they're, too. they're expensive ones. And, but, Anything uh, that's missing is in, is in the book. Please don't ask him to autograph it. That's serious. I mean, he's got to get out of here, and he'd be here forever. So, but take the book. It's actually a gift from Norman. So, so thank you, Norman. You're welcome. When you leave. And you ought to pay Penguin Books 10 bucks a piece uh, for those, uh, well, at least. <laughs> there, they are. They're not a gift in that sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
so you said that that uh, Heidi told me that you didn't see the film until Sundance, until you were at Sundance. That's uh, right for the final. So what did you think of it? What did you think? Well, of well at Sundance, it? I was there. I have six kids, and they're three of them are married. They're husbands, uh, and a couple of grandchildren. Uh, and I was so involved with what was happening with them, I, 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 I saw the picture, but I didn't see the picture. I mean, I really didn't know until Chicago. Yeah. Chicago, uh, you know, was just uh, Lynn and me, and I watched it, and I couldn't get over it. And uh, I've seen it once again since, and uh, I mean, I just couldn't admire them more. They, they, made, uh, they made a film a lot of years ago called uh, Jesus Camp. I don't know how many of you may have seen it. And they're now making a film about uh, Hasidics, yes. which scares the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Them too, they gasped. And uh, <laughs> her partner's name is Rachel, Rachel Grady, but her real name is Rachel Goldstein, and she's going back to her original name. At least name, for this film. For this film only, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so what did they leave out? Anything? Well, uh, they left out a bu the Business Enterprise Trust, an uh, organization I started a bunch of years ago uh, that had Warren Buffett and Kay Graham, a bunch of major business leaders on the board, Jim Burke, who ran Johnson & Johnson. And we were trying to help the country understand that uh, American corporations could do well by doing good. That was our slogan. And we were, ran for six years. I get a check for $18, $20 every once in a while now, okay. which tells me that the Harvard Books, the Harvard Business School Publishing Company is still say, selling an occasional tape. I, used, I did a 30-minute documentary on each of the winners every year. And I, I should save this question for last, but I won't. What are you working on now? We just finished 13 episodes of... Wow. Uh, of a Latina version of a show we did years ago called One Day at a Time. And uh, this is a Cuban-American grandmother is, uh, is Rita Moreno, and uh, the uh, Justina Machado is the daughter and, and two kids, three generations of uh, Cuban women. It'll be on Netflix. And it'll be on Netflix. That's great. That's great. And? And? There is a New York Times, this woman made it. There is a uh, New York Times op-doc. I don't know how many of you are familiar with New York Times op-doc. It's a short, but if you, a short film. But it's seven minutes about a script that I wrote six years ago called Guess Who Died? And uh, you might guess the demographic. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, the, it, it, that seven-minute op-doc that, uh, that uh, Heidi made sold the show. We're, we're going to be making the show. And you will see more than one Betty White on television <laughs> <laughs> representing a demographic. Um, I, I, Heidi was talking to me about um, when she wanted to make the film, that she started even before... Tell us about that, what you were telling me about, that you started... Shooting Norman before you even had a deal with it with a network or yeah, anything. We were talking to American Masters and you know, business is too slow for me and for Norman. 
And so we were sort of, we had a handshake, but it was one of those things where Norman was about to do his audiobook read and go, you see it in the film. And we didn't want to miss that. So we actually just started shooting before, a few months before we actually had anything officially signed. And I'm so glad we did because that became sort of very, very, in, you know, intimate thread uh, in the film, him sort of reading his words aloud. But sometimes, you know, documentary, you have to move, you have to go. You can't wait for, you know, the ink to dry. So we started. Well, it's also months. a measure of your own creativity when you have the need, because creatively, you know you want to grab something. That's right. And, uh, I mean, it's as much creative as... Well, you, you could have gotten the recording, of course, but to shoot him doing it was even better. And look at the exposition that you got out of it. Look at this, the storytelling, you know, the... I mean, most you know, of the he film was telling is in, the story, and most of the film is in Norman's words. Of course, we it, we have very few interviews actually for a biography, and we just didn't need partly because of the audiobook read, and it was just it was a film that we decided to sort of put mostly in in Norman's words, and that really helped a great deal with this sort of emotional connection having having the audiobook read as well. Um, and, and speaking of the emotion, I, I think that everyone was touched by uh, Norman's interview when he's sitting in the seat in the blue shirt, uh, which. Um, Heidi had told me was not done in one take. It was done over a period of time. And uh, but uh, I felt that that when I was watching it, that Norman was was had me under control uh, like an actor would. I mean, he was basically, and the, also the way they cut it, of course. But but he was basically keeping the emotion of the film together with. This one interview where you're watching this guy and, and, and you've just seen all these other shots where sideburns go up and down, but still, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're with him at that moment. And I think that that, uh, that was an extraordinary interview. And yet it's a stock of so many of these kind of films, but yet, so I wanted to ask more about that. And could, well, could the, you tell, know the, tell us about the shooting and then I'm going to ask him about Sure. Doing it. We, we mostly make observational films, verite films, so we'd never done a biography before. This is probably the first and last time. I mean, I can't get better than this, right? Uh, so it was really something where stylistically we had to come up with something new. We still wanted to have texture and layer. We decided not to interview anyone in their home, no lamps in the background, no windows. That was part of the intimacy, to put Norman in, in, a, in a place, and we did the interview in the same shirt, in the same studio, but over several months, really, because we would come back with other questions we wanted to ask and our relationship was growing as well. So, so these are all directors who, yeah. and, and assistant directors who worry about the match of the shirt. Well <laughs> unfortunately Norman likes to wear this blue shirt with like a little hole in it and so we had to keep using the shirt with the hole in it because he insisted on wearing it the first time but you probably don't notice that. Uh, so yeah it, was, it wasn't too difficult. Norman's look doesn't change too much so we were able to, uh, able to pull that off. And, and how did you feel? Did you feel the same thing that, that we feel as an audience, that you were kind of, there were long pauses and there, there's, you cry. I mean, there, there were very emotional things that were happening in that interview that you wouldn't normally see in, 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 in a subject well, interview. they were asking me the questions that brought those emotions to the, uh, to the fore. I, it telling this, you know, I could tell certain stories about my life and, and feel the same way every time because it's I'm telling a story about how I felt at the moment and it catches me. Um, well, I, it does catch the audience. I mean, that was uh, extraordinary for me anyway. That, that, and I was just wondering if you felt that. I mean, and you know, the, I think it's late in the film as I, as I remember that scene with Archie and Mike and the in the cellar. Oh, no question, that and, works. Yeah. And 
I, if I saw that every day for a month, I would react the same way every time I saw it. It'll bring me to tears every time. It's so emotionally for, emotional for me. And, uh, but I think that's what great performance and, and, and a certain attitude. You know, when I, as a kid, uh, it, it didn't change when I was 40 and making shows or 50, 60, 70. You know, I sit in a chair uh, to go to a movie or a play and I say, take me. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting there to judge. I just want to be had. Take me, <laughs> and uh, so these scenes catch me the same. And way. were you watching the actual watching the scene? That was I know it was green screen, but were you also watching the scene? Oh, or yes. you, oh yeah. So how did you do that? So Norman had told us a story once. I, we wanted to not just have uh, place full screen clips. We wanted to find a more emotional way to do it. Norman had told us once that when All in the Family was being taped, he would stand in the back often and he would watch the audience reaction. And oftentimes they physically would laugh so hard that they would lean forward in their chair and they would double over in laughter. And he told me once that he liked watching them watch. And that was in my head. It was like watching them watch. And mm -hmm. on an airplane on the way to Los Angeles to, for the first shoot, I, my DP, sadly for him, was sitting across the aisle. So we had five hours to discuss <laughs> how to shoot people watching and also use a green screen and not trap ourselves. So we would show, we had a monitor off, off screen and every reaction you see is really was really happening, um, but you don't see the monitor. And that's where we dropped in the green screen later. We dropped in the clip and so we would drop So the he was actually watching God Bless America. Absolutely. Uh, and, and every time we didn't cheat that. Those amazing. were real reactions for everyone who Wasn't watched. Wasn't that a pain in the ass to kind of Such do that? Such a pain in the ass. <laughs> it was it was so technical to but get you appreciated to the it when you were when yeah. you were doing the interview right that, that you were watching that yeah and the shots of you just watching were, were I don't know if they felt that but for me it was very evocative I mean my someone God. called it yeah. cinema is time machine one of the reviews said cinema yeah. is time machine seeing Rob Reiner watch his younger self there's something we all do that so I thought there was something also accessible about about seeing that for the audience yeah and I also felt that we we We've seen that before in other films, but not quite as effective. I don't think it really worked. Thank and uh, a lot of it had to do with you, and a lot of it had to do with him. That's I mean, right. Was, we're a good match. He was helping you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Did you feel that you were part of a show, or you were just answering an interview as if it were press? I didn't feel I was part of the show, except for the day I was there. I mean, you know, these interviews took place over a period of time. They were working, you know, day and night, and I was doing other things. <laughs> And uh, I was just invited to come now and talk now, sit, listen now. And, uh, but I, I, I think I explained it when I said my attitude as a member of the audience. Forget I had anything to do with it. I'm seeing Archie and Mike, you know, for the first time every time I see that scene. I, you know I don't mean literally for the first time, but emotionally, it's the same. And did you know that was the scene that she was going to show you, or, or that happened that day oh, in, I didn't, the, I didn't in the work know at all of the day? I was going to be saying. We didn't that. tell anyone no. what clips wow. were going to show. Wow, no. that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, also, uh, you know, as a filmmaker myself, to have such a, 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 a helpful subject, I mean, I'm sure, you know, we used the phrase before, you might have been a pain in the in other ways, you know, to there, but but also you seem that you, you know, I said this before, but I'll say it again. The 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 way you made the film help help make the film work was 
as if you were complicit in, in the making of the film. And, and uh, that was, uh, I, I was trying to figure out if that was because you've been interviewed so many times before and you kind of knew what was expected of you and, you know, or I or think it had, it had as much more to do with liking getting up in the morning. <laughs> I like, you know, I like this. It has taken me uh, 94 years, some months, some weeks, some days, some minutes, hours, just to get here to point this finger. This, this split second, I've lived every split second of my life to do that. And everybody here lived every split second of their lives just to listen to me say this and point at them. <laughs> but isn't that the truth? I mean, it's, it's you, you, and I think it's amazing. And how could you not live in the moment if you're thinking it took you every split second to get here? You're here. Yeah. There's a wonderful line that you have in the film when when it moves sort of the politics to to you know the the stronger part of your later career when you were getting involved in politics where you say well it's 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 all the entertainment business <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, do you feel that about your about the, the work that you've done I mean the the the, the political work and 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 yes, necessarily yeah, yeah. I, I I you know I have. From the age of nine, certainly, maybe before, but at nine I can recall clearly, uh, I began to understand something about the foolishness, what I call the foolishness of the human condition. Did I use the expression in the film? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, once. Uh, <laughs> you know, my father is hauled off to jail. One day, at, I'm nine years old, my mother is selling all the furniture and uh, the places, uh, the house is loaded with a lot of people I don't know who are interested in what she has to sell. She's about to sell my father's red leather chair. Uh, it was like our wet red leather chair. He sat in it, controlled the Atwater Kent radio dial, and we'd listen to the fights from Madison Square Garden on Friday nights. I mean, these were you know, the, be the best moments of my life, all gone in a few minutes as I'm standing in this situation. And some grown man, this asshole, puts his hand on my shoulder and says, well, Norman, you're the man of the house now. <laughs> and a moment later he's saying, there, there, Norman, the man of the house doesn't cry. And uh, I think I understood something about the foolishness of the, of the human condition. You know, and that is a funny moment. In all its sadness, it's funny. It's true, and 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 we still laugh at those at those scenes that are that are as serious as they are. You know, it's what's amazing. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask one more question of you guys, and then I'm going to see if anybody else has any questions. Uh, uh, which was uh, the the recreations? Uh, they're not recreations; they're actually a scene. Of, with the, with the boy and your with the hat and and this, how, how did you arrive at that and how did you feel about that? Well, we decided to jump off a cliff creatively. Um, we, you know, I really I I'm interested in texture and layers in films, visually and you know orally with audio, 
And we just felt that there were certain episodes in Norman's life where there, there's very few photographs of him as a child, and um, there was just very there was very little material to deal with. And I just didn't want to be always cutting to random B-roll and archive that had nothing to do with Norman. And Norman, as as we got to know him, so many references in his life are when he was nine and ten, nine and ten in the book, in conversation, and episodes that happened to him as a young kid seem to appear over and over and over again in the work. So we thought, there's just a nine-year-old living in this guy, and maybe he's nine is it. Like this is the most influential <laughs> moment for him. And so we started playing with the idea of, you know, the child inside of all of us, the child inside of Norman. And I was very interested in working with projections. And so we sort of devised um, just a few scenes where we would sort of try to bring to life some of these stories, especially with Father Coughlin, the preacher. We had audio, but that was it. And so really it just became an additional sort of fa almost fantasy, you know, uh, parallel universe layer that we put into the film and um and then that we went with it and we, we chose the kid and uh where'd you find the hat that was norman's I, hat I, 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 <laughs> you, was, you really? can't find this no, hat. i wasn't going to say he has it's two probably... of them they're made in france <laughs> and you know the whole gilligan's hat that people try to do for norman it doesn't work so we borrowed his hat and very carefully handled it for that <laughs> so and how do you feel and how did that? you feel about the, the being with the kid and working even you shake oh, his I, hand I, at the end i you know i thought it was wonderful wonderful uh, I knew about it in advance, and it, it, it concerned me, but it didn't concern me any more than it concerned them. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, it was something that was going to work or wasn't. <laughs> That's right. And you weren't going to know until you saw some of it. Right. And uh, I wasn't there when they made the decision, having seen some of it, that it worked. Uh, I wasn't part of that decision. I saw it later. And did it resonate with but you it, to have that character and, and to look at oh, that character? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm very touched by that character. Did it remind it's you me. of yourself? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Actually, that's what Norman looked like as a child. We did cast someone who actually looks like him as a boy. And you went to casting, and you, it was like a regular scene. That we the, had a uh, casting director, very good and we cast him. That's great. That's great. Uh, it really, for me, is 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 uh, as a biography film is is so uh, it's an important film and and. Uh, I'm sure you're happy that it, it was made, and, and uh, I hope you no, were. No, I know, no, I'm about to tell you I'm miserable. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was so negative to your, to your work also. Was there any negative scenes in it that were, where you, you thought, well, I, I better not show this because it makes me... No, yeah, I, do, well, I did have something to do with okay. something. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I saw it the first time, uh, maybe it was... It, Chicago. No, I saw some enough no, to we, know. No, we show you a short rough. Cut. Enough for me to say to them: Is every grandchild accounted for? <laughs> and they weren't. Uh, and they weren't. So they hunted up some stuff. He's like, "You're missing a grandchild here." And I was like, "If that's the only feedback, we're good." Uh, no, the other thing he said was, which was so funny, because we have a problem at Loki Films. Our films have an element we use too much. And you did say, "You said where are the grandkids?" And you said, "Heidi." Do there need to be so many birds in the movie? <laughs> There's so many fucking birds. That's Direct quote. And I was like, you got me there. We like birds. We actually cut out a couple of the birds because I was embarrassed. I said, oh my God, we got caught on the bird thing. But those were the, those were those, it's a problem. Uh, but those were the two. You should see the Hasidic movie. There are so many birds in Brooklyn. Oh my God. There are crows and there's, every, Brooklyn is full of birds. So it's yeah. too much birds already in that one. But that was really the only comments.
Okay, uh, we're going to talk to the audience. If you haven't seen Jesus Camp, by the way, go see it. It's That's nothing fabulous. like the Norman Lear film, except <laughs> Norman may be in it somewhere, but it's just, but other <laughs> than that, uh, it's uh, it's a nice film, and and uh, what's good about it is it got her to this film. So so we're, we're lucky that way. Uh, so who wants to ask a question? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with answering the oh. answering the question how you got it, and then we'll ask him uh, about the. I met Norman a couple of years ago on another project. He, I wanted to interview him about Maude. I was doing a, sh a a doc on women in comedy for PBS, and it was kind of a conventional piece. And Norman was writing his book and said, "No, I'm not doing interviews." And I wanted to talk about the Maude abortion episode. And no, 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 no. Months go by. We try again. We try again. Finally, they said, "If you come to LA tomorrow, Norman will give you 30 minutes." I get on a plane, I go to L.A., sit down in his living room. He's like, yeah, you, you, you're pretty persistent. I said, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we sat down, and an hour and a half later, we were still chatting. And he goes, I gave you too much. You, this, I'm writing my book. You can't use this. So it started a conversation. I couldn't believe there hadn't been a film, a documentary about Norman. Many people had tried. He'd started two projects, and they had he had pulled out of them in some way. I'm, I'm just being quick about yeah. this, but that's the truth. And so eventually I thought it was the right time, and, and we, we started talking to Norman and his people, and it grew into a, a real relationship where he was ready to uh, do the film and he was ready to do it with us and he knew our work and so it was it was good timing and it was just the right connection um, and so yeah it was one of those wonderful gifts that happens once in a while in a filmmaker's life so more than once but yeah uh, hopefully more hopefully than once. more than once so tell us about the hat and the Declaration of Independence <laughs> uh, I was writing 12 hours a day 50 years ago 60 years ago and uh, and I, I used to, I had a habit of scratching my head. And so there was a sore, a scab, a sore, a scab. And, uh, and my kids and my wife, of course, uh, I lived with it. And one day my wife came in and threw a little white hat on my head <laughs> and said, uh, don't take this off. <laughs> and I, I fell in love with the hat. and. Uh, we were in Mexico, uh, and we were riding horseback on the beach some weeks later, and I came back, the hat having been under the saddle, when, I, when we got back, the, the, the hat was gone. And uh, I, was, I couldn't have been sadder. The next day, my wife and I were on vacation, we were going to Paris, and on the Rue de Faubourg, Above, I can't remember the store, there was a hat maker. We went upstairs, and, uh, and my wife drew this hat, and they made it. Oh, great. And Rue de Faubourg. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Fift, uh, number 15, Faubourg Schoen. Now everybody's going to know. <laughs> gave away too much. <laughs> And that was interesting about the Declaration of Independence. That you, that, that where well, is it right now? Let me say first about the Declaration. Of Independence. I, I wish to. I, I did ask several times. Yeah. I wanted the truck in the film. The damn I, truck, Norman. I, I wanted the truck. I in know the, we couldn't. Yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, David uh, Rockwell, a wonderful young architect in New York and a great friend, he designed an exhibition for the Declaration that uh, could be small in a small uh, uh, 
you know, a city building or something in a library, or it could be a huge, the, as big as the uh, our opening gun. Uh, the exhibition was at the uh, at the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, and uh, it was huge. And we do have uh, President Bush uh, talk, talk, talking about it. But uh, the post office gave me a 16-wheeler for two years and a driver. And the, and, and, and the uh, exhibition traveled in it. Uh, I did, with 50 or so uh, country western people, the greatest version of uh, uh, this land is my land. Uh, it's it's brilliant and brilliantly photographed and so forth. And uh, we had a, a, a kids thing of the net of the Constitutional Convention. All these things played in different areas in the exhibition, and uh, and people stood online in little towns, big towns, for an hour and a half, two hours, to get to see, to stand with it, in front of it. So I had the kick of watching families, you know, who having spent all that time to get to the document crying as they read those words. And that makes me think when I knew there were people who hated me at nine years of age because I was Jewish, uh, I was taking out my... I, Glad we got to this, because I want to leave you thinking about this. There were civics lessons in the public schools. I took civics. And it was part of what we had in, in public schools. It's so sad that it's not there now. And uh, so I knew about a constitution, a bill of rights, a declaration that protected me, that said this is not the American way. That could not have been more meaningful to me. And it was, and this too, it was our founding fathers. Our founding fathers. My father was in prison. So the word fathers resonated through my life. And, uh, and I have copies of five presidents I've written to saying, in a couple of cases, you know, I'm older than you, but I need a father in that job. I am not the sophisticated people think I am. I don't know what I need to know uh, to, to uh, uh, understand the running of this amazing country. So help me and uh, be a father. I, said, I wrote it to you know, the youngest of our presidents about to leave office. Uh, and that's what I expect of the media. You know that they would have some sense of responsibility, the way they did when there was an Edward R. Murrow and when there was a Walter Cronkite, and uh, you know there was a time when they took the time to help inform us, and none of that exists. You think that's gone? Huh? Think I, it's gone now? I know it's gone. All I, you know, all I see is Fox and Friends, and uh, what they're doing on CNN and so forth. They may be expressing a lot of what I feel, but it's, you know, in chatterbox, bumper mm -hmm. sticker talk. Mm -hmm. It's not. Well, without it being over-sentimental, and I'm sure they all agree, we have you, and we have 
the things that you believe in that and we have counter each other. that. And we have each other, of course. Yeah. I have to say one thing. Yeah, we have, we're about to close, but I Heidi need to recognize someone. Um, my producer, Brent Miller, is in the back. He deserves a big applause. Oh, thanks. Because the movie does not exist and without And he's good looking. Man. He ought to stand up also. <laughs> so I just wanted to major, major important person in that situation. But, but here's what I'd like to do next, because I think this is so great. If we can find a bed large enough, <laughs> let's all get into it. <laughs> okay. With it. If we can't find the bed, the, the books are outside. And thank you very much. Thank and Norman, you. thank you for a very special night. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. You can watch more discussions like this on our website or our YouTube channel. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.